I'm dropping the hammer. Grain, grain, grain. They're out there at your door. He's still out there. He's still there. He's still there. Still there, bumper clear. Coming to the white flag. Welcome to Drop the Hammer. Today is Tuesday, April 9th, 2019. Along with Ben Sheeran, I'm Teddy Rodquist. Ben, what's going on today? Hey, I told you I had that ace in the hole with Kyle Busch right there. It was a pretty good event ending to that Bristol race, huh? Yeah, that was. That was that was an awesome ending. And you're right. I mean, and we, we knew it was going to be a strong pick. And how about Kurt Busch, though, giving him, giving him a run for his money? Hey, it couldn't have been a uh, better race for the Drop the Hammer crew. Got one, two on our uh, race picks. So, and the Bush brothers seeing them, uh, seeing them running for a win at Bristol, that was pretty cool. But uh, I don't know. As much as I wanted Kyle Busch to win for my own personal satisfaction, I kind of wanted to see if Kurt Busch would have actually wrecked Kyle, uh, like he said he would in his post-race interview. Yeah, that that was, uh, I, you know, something he was. I uh, can't asking us about on Twitter afterwards, you know, and I, I definitely hit him with the retweet saying, yeah, yeah, you should have. Um, but Kurt Busch, that's, it's just another, another race and what's been a really strong season for him, even though he hasn't won a race, he's finished top 10 in all but two races this year in his first year with Chip Ganassi equipment. And while we've seen Larson struggle, Kurt Busch has excelled. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting how Larson was the banner name at Chip Ganassi Racing and everyone kind of expected Kurt Busch to come in and be silent and probably be like Jamie McMurray and kind of run in the, you know, 15th to 20th range. But he's really come in and come strong. He, You know, I, I think everyone was expecting him to kind of come in, do his one last year and retire. But, I mean, he's having a really strong year. And if he can get a win, I, I don't see why he couldn't be, you know, at least a threat to make it to the Final Four in the in the playoffs. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I once you get to the playoffs, you know, you can never count out those veterans. And even though Kurt's championship, you know, his the inaugural year of the chase was 15 years ago now. I mean, I, exactly. I would not doubt his experience. And if he can find a way to get a win or just try to point his way in there, we'll see what happens. But, you know, a couple other guys that I've really liked, a guy that quietly had a good day that we don't talk about a whole lot because he, you know, only has one win and stuff. I thought Paul Menard had a good day. Really, even though we saw the Bush brothers go one and two, Ford had a really strong day. There were six Fords in the top nine, led by Logano finishing, you know, first among that group. Yeah, uh, you talk about Paul Menard, but I mean, another Ford who really kind of flew under the radar and had a solid day was uh, Ryan Newman. Um, but yeah, he. Uh, Paul Menard, he's he's really kind of having an, a, a quietly okay year, you know. He's he's always been one of those guys that um, I thought maybe uh, didn't get enough credit. Maybe when he was at RCR, uh, he he made the chase on points in 2014 and really was a factor to you know run up front, front all week uh, or all year last year. Um, but another guy who was having a good run that I kind of wanted to talk about. Really didn't get like the the finish that I thought he deserved, uh, but Chris Busher was running up in the top ten most of the race. Ended up finishing twenty second, um, probably off that pit sequence. He re- really didn't have any uh, 
didn't, wasn't able to get up front there, but uh, he was really running to the top 10 most of the day that from what I could see. So he, I think Chris Busher has become a really good driver at Bristol, almost kind of like what Ricky Stenhouse was in the early in his career where he really is able to shine at Bristol. Yeah, we, you know, we saw a couple of guys that, you know, haven't done much this year actually have pretty good days, you know, for it being one of the tougher tracks on the circuit. You know, we saw Ty, Ty Dillon. That was awesome how he stole stage one from, from Boyer there. Boyer electing to stay out, trying to get the stage win in the playoff points, and Ty Dillon just, just by a nose. That was really cool to see. First career stage win, I believe, for Ty Dillon. And then... um. Yeah, you know, you bring up Busher. We talked about Menard. It was, I thought, yeah, even though it was a traditional finish with Kyle Busch winning, there were some unheralded names that had strong days. I agree, I agree. And I think there's a huge what if, though, of the weekend if Chase Elliott wouldn't have gotten into that wreck because you saw it. He allegedly lost power steering after that wreck, which at Bristol must have happened to be the worst thing to ever happen to you. You know, you could have problems, but having to go 450 laps of power steering, that has just to be the most excruciated thing you can ever have. But he still remained in the top 10, got back. He was in the top five at uh, some points in the race. And I got to think that car must have been really, really strong. Like you could have definitely, uh, barring that wreck with Corey LaJoy, we might have seen the nine car just absolutely just run away with this race because that, that, that was really impressive to me to see him hold on like that because you see it at other tracks. And when guys lose power steering, that's it. They'll lose laps and that stuff. But Chase Elliott was able to hang in there and finished outside the top 10, but still had a really good run and was able to get some solid uh, stage points too. Yeah, you're right. He he was looking super strong early. Definitely looked like he had a, a top three car early on in stage one there. And my first thought when I saw the the wreck with LaJoy, and, and they said this on the, the broadcast crew, uh, Mike, Daryl, Waltrip, and Jeff Gordon did. They said they were talking about how nice of a save it was to avoid hitting the inside wall. And that was my first thought, too. I was like, all right, you know, he, he got – that wasn't nearly as bad as it could have been. But then, yeah, you know, we started hearing over the radio about the power steering, and that is a really impressive physical accomplishment, I think, by, by Elliot. I mean, that's that takes some strength. I know it probably wasn't as bad when he was turning to the left since it's, you know, more frequent, but – when he had to work the wheel back to the right, I bet that was that was pretty challenging. And even though he did finish outside the top ten, yeah, I was really impressed with Elliott as well. Absolutely. Um, I think I think another thing we had to hit on though is the attendance at the spring race. I mean, it was only thirty thirty eight thousand when Bristol can hold up yeah, to one hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, I mean that's that w- that's bad for a track that everyone seems to think to be the. Um, the best racing track and the NASCAR circuit. And I don't know, I think this kind of brought up an unpopular opinion, but um, I, I love Bristol. I want them to stay at two races, but if they're only going to have 38,000, you know, at the, at the spring race and people are going to turn around at the night race in August and they're going to put 80,000 people in the seats. I, I think we might see the last of the Bristol spring race in 2020. That doesn't mean that I, I think we would see Bristol lose a race. We could see them go to a doubleheader if um, 
if the Pocono doubleheader is successful enough and they could do a trial run, but I'm thinking the most likely thing to happen in 2021 if Nashville and NASCAR end up um, reaching an agreement and uh, are able to schedule a cup date there, I'm thinking that Nashville's going to replace the Bristol Spring Race just because it makes the most sense. You know, that's that's the race that seems to be one of the most struggling attendance-wise, and that would if they would keep that race and add Nashville, that's a third race in the state of Tennessee. I know they're not really near each other, but, you know, that's – That'd be something that I think NASCAR will look at and say, you know, we're we're gonna have to take Bristol off um, one race, and I'm sure Marcus Smith won't be happy, but I think that might be the most logical move uh, to fit Nashville into the schedule. Yeah. Oh yeah, I agree. I think it's a a very strong possibility as well that 2020 will be the last year we see, you know, the Bristol formatted the current way it is, and I do want to say that. Even though the the attendance was not very strong on Sunday, I I did enjoy seeing you know Daryl Waltrip you know get get to wave the the green flag and just the, the tribute he got. I think it was cool to to send him off like that. And, and we're not done. We still got some cool races with with Waltrip left. But I thought that was cool at a place where no drivers won more than he has. But to get back on really on track, I absolutely agree. I think that we will see NASCAR go to just the Bristol night race in 2021 because I've seen, you know, NASCAR getting kind of ripped on social media and it's easy to do so for, you know, the pictures of how sparse the attendance looked and, you know, them having to close off sections of seating. But the Bristol night race is still extraordinary and draws and draws exceptionally well. So that race is among, you know, the biggest spectacle in the sport. So that race is going to, you know, stay where it is. But I, I like your idea of moving to Nashville and whether it is Nashville or somewhere else. Yeah, I think it's very high likelihood that 2020 is the last year with the two races at Bristol. Yeah, it's it stinks that they're going to have to take off a short track race because I think they really just need to go balanced for the 2021 schedule, balance it between the road courses, uh, restrictor play tracks, kind of have those be, you know, kind of, three or four races at road courses or restrictor plates and then kind of, you know, fill the rest of the schedule balance it between shorter tracks and um, the speedways. Um, it, it would stink to see Bristol lose a race, but I think the the bottom line is I think everyone, including the city of Nashville, is going to do whatever they can to get NASCAR back to the fairground speedway. Um, yeah. And I, I think, yeah, Bristol's probably going to be uh, they'll probably get the chopping block. But um, some more interesting news, I think, uh, this week was NASCAR. Yesterday, uh, Adam Stern reported that NASCAR rejected a title sponsor extension from Monster, um, stating that they want their t- uh, three-tiered sp- uh, level of sponsorship for the whole sport to move forward. And I thought that was really interesting. I don't know what your opinion on this Ted is, but I think this is a great move for NASCAR. It it finally, after the embarrassment they had trying to replace sprint, they finally have kind of a move where they had the upper hand in negotiating. They're not desperate looking for sponsorships. And it seems like they're going to get, be able to generate more money for the sport with this tiered sponsorship, um, whatever that ends up kind of working its way out to. But, um, I, I think it was really good news for at least the sport and 
you know, their kind of recovery economically. Yeah, and it is it is going to be different to to give, you know, the people that may be listening that might not know what we're talking about an idea of what we are. NASCAR is potentially looking at, for the first time, not having someone sponsor, if I'm not mistaken, not having someone sponsor the entire series. Like we had, you know, the Winston Cup Series, now the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. There won't be a sponsor on the entire series. It would be, you know, for example here, I don't know if this is one of the companies that would do it. It could be, but it, it would be something like, you know, NASCAR racing on Fox presented by Coca-Cola and, you know, certain companies may have certain races or certain portions of the season. That's my understanding of how it would work. Something like that. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's worth a shot. Cause like you said, you know, NASCAR, they, they got to take some chances at this point and, uh, you know, do what they can to get more, you know, business sponsorship back in the sport. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of, they're doing what the premier league over in soccer is doing and they're kind of, it's going to look kind of similar, like you said, uh, NASCAR presented by ex-sponsor. And I really think what my my philosophy on what's going to happen is the sponsor that is presenting the series that week is going to get a decal similar to the playoff emojis. I know they were testing um, the NASCAR heat uh, kind of decals on all the cars during um, – like the Daytona 500, and I believe the first couple races, and I think that's what it's going to end up uh, looking like. They're going to have a big chunk of sponsorship on every car um, instead of having just, and then they'll have the NASCAR race car sticker instead of just having, you know, the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to definitely see that. Um, but I'm excited. If it, if it brings... Uh, new revenue to the sport and allows more companies to get deeper involved in the NASCAR, I'm all for it because I, I think the Monster Energy partnership, while it's been cool and it's a brand that's fit, fitted NASCAR pretty well, um, they really didn't get the best out of the title sponsorship this last go around as I think they could have. Yeah, and I, this is my takeaway. Maybe I'm interpreting it the wrong way or just viewing it with too much optimism but the way i interpreted it interpreted it was that it seemed like monster kind of entered entered this deal with some skepticism and now we're hearing reports that you know monster wanted to renew and nascar was like you know we're gonna explore something else so i think it's a positive sign for nascar that it seemed like you know monster really you know the idea really grew on them and they wanted to wanted it to continue and another thing that I want to say about NASCAR that really touches back on what we were talking about before with Bristol, and it's easy to rip on NASCAR, and they'll probably get ripped on if they do indeed get rid of Bristol like we were saying for one of the races would be likely. But the fans, from what I've seen, wanted more short track racing. And, you know, Bristol's as good of short track racing as it gets, but the fans just didn't show out for that race and haven't for the last few years. So, well, NASCAR is probably going to get ripped on for, for, you know, changing the schedule here. I really, I'm really not going to rip on them for it because it seems like they gave it a shot to, you know, work out the way the fans wanted and people aren't coming. It's just a business decision. Yeah. Um, my theory on it, and I've seen it popular on Twitter and it's just, you, you can't, 
you know, knock on NASCAR making decisions when, you know, and talking about knocking on them, taking away races or, you know, just the low attendance figures when you're not going to races, you know, I, exactly. like I, I myself went to three races last year. And I mean, even then I don't want to knock on attendance. I know they're trying to rebound and get back to the attendance levels that they want, but you know, as fans, you know, you can't just sit at home, watch the races on the couch, complain about, oh, the seats are empty and not go to races. You have to do your part. And and I understand that if the races are, you know, a little too expensive for people, I, I myself paying for the races, you know, know how how costly it can be. But, you know, it's it's just the thing like you can't call the kettle black if you're not doing anything. Right. I'll probably sound like like a pitchman for NASCAR here or something, but like that's kind of the beauty of being a fan of, you know, this sport in particular is that, you know, I think we're really close to the action and we make a big deal. We, you know, we directly impact that. We need to get going to more races. And speaking of the races, we're moving not not too far away, moving from Tennessee to Virginia for uh, going to Richmond Raceway. What are you looking for at Richmond here? Um, I, you know, I, I actually think this might be Chase Elliott's week to break into the, into the winner's circle. Um, he's been really strong on the short tracks this year, Martinsville and, and Bristol. He was showing a lot of strength. I think, I think Chase Elliott's going to be a guy to beat. Um, I think Kyle Busch is going to be another guy to beat. Richmond's probably his best track outside of Bristol. So, um, I think it'll be a uh, interesting thing, but I think one of the, just the most fascinating stat is that obviously we're eight races through and four guys have won the races, but it's just been guys from Penske and Joe Gibbs. It's been Logano, Keselowski, Hamlin, and Kyle Busch. And so that, that's like so interesting to me, like how they've had a stranglehold on the season when it really, I don't, I don't know if they've necessarily been dominating. You know, there's been guys out front, that, but it just when it's crunch time, you see Logano, Keselowski, and Kyle Busch up there, you know. The, yeah, it's, I, I, it's all about timing, and I think Joe Gibbs has shown that more than any other team this year. And to speak to your point, if I had to pick someone outside of Joe Gibbs or Penske to win a race right now, um, Elliott and Kurt Busch would be my top two picks probably. Yeah, um, it'd be interesting. The, the it seems like the aero and engine package, it's it's made it a little bit more difficult to kind of follow a guy, and that you had to kind of almost take a different line to be able to get into position to pass someone. So that'll be interesting to see at Richmond because Richmond has been um, kind of a two two lane track the past few years. You know, you've seen the uh, the. Uh, kind of the middle line has been able to work passing people and getting around the track. So it'll be kind of interesting to see that, but yeah, I'm going to go with uh, chase Elliott as my winner this week. I like that. That's a, that's a strong pick. That's a strong pick. You have a, a little history nugget you want to share this week? Uh, yeah. Uh, history nugget is from April 14th, 1996, uh, at old, Old North Wilkesboro Speedway, Terry Labonte tied Richard Petty with uh, 513 consecutive starts and actually won the race. He ran his silver Ironman uh, 
paint scheme, but I think it was kind of interesting. Um, I mean, Terry Labonte himself, Hall of Famer, great guy, but kind of interesting. The whole Iron Man of NASCAR, how it's kind kind of changed the guards. Uh, Terry Labonte ended up with 655 uh, consecutive starts before he broke his collarbone at um, at Indianapolis in 2000, and he had to give up that uh, streak. But the interesting thing was. Um, this was rumored to be happening. Dale Earnhardt actually was going to pass Terry Labonte in 2001 before he ultimately passed away, and there was a rumored he was going to run an Iron Man paint scheme and that stuff. Um, unfortunately, never got to see the light of day. Wonder if there's a concept anywhere in Sam Bass's uh, archives, but uh, it's just kind of interesting looking at these guys. Jeff Gordon ended up, he's got the Iron Man streak right now with 797 uh passing Ricky Rudd, who ended his streak in 2005. But you got guys like Bobby Labonte, who are up there, Rusty Wallace. Uh, but the most interesting thing is I'm thinking of guys right now who could possibly get up there, and I'm thinking Joey Logano might be a strong uh, factor uh, since Kyle Busch broke his leg in 2015 and wouldn't be able to. But thinking how Logano got in at age 18 and – seemingly has stayed healthy his entire career, I think he would be a, a strong candidate to maybe come up and break Jeff Gordon's record. Yeah, he is a strong candidate. And I got to say about Logano, I, I texted you about this the other day, that that auto trader paint scheme, man, on the 22, it, it looks good. I, I like that auto trader paint scheme more and more each time Logano drives it. I agree. He, uh, he, uh, I, I've liked that paint scheme since Keselowski uh, debuted it and won last year in Vegas. I thought it's a, it's a slick scheme. I'm not really a fan of kind of the the template that Penske has kind of gone with, with like Logano's spikes or whatever they call it with the shell pencil, using that for every scheme. It's like, you know, do something yeah. different. Like it's not, it wasn't even his scheme to begin with. It was based off of Kurt Busch's Legends car back in the day, and they've just kept it at Penske. So I don't know. I, I like the Auto Trader scheme too. But speaking of Logano, I think you have uh, Joey Logano as your Richmond race winner. I do. Yeah. I mean, we like we were talking about the the dominance of JG JGR and Penske. I mean, he's one of only four drivers to have won a race this year. And he finished fourth in this race last year, but he won the first and second stages. So I think Logano's a strong pick to pick up the win here at Richmond. And then my eliminator pick this week, I'm going out on a limb. It's a, it's a risky pick, but it, it's high risk, but it's potentially high reward. I'm going to go with Kyle Larson. He very, very much he's been struggling. Ever since he finished sixth at back at Phoenix, it's been... You know, a downhill slide from there. 12th at Auto Club, 18th at Martinsville, 39th at Texas, 19th at Bristol. But we've seen the success that his teammate Kurt Busch has had. I'm going to take a chance that this is the week that Larson responds with a strong race. I mean, he finished 7th here last year in this race, so he knows this track, and I think he'll do well this weekend. I think Logano is a strong pick. He's got the best... uh best average finish of anyone from since 2017 he's got a win has three top fives uh out of the four races so i think that's a, a strong pick to win um and kyle larson i mean he got a win at richmond way back in i believe 2017 
2017 uh, in the Target car. Yeah, so yeah. I think that. So I think that's a uh, a pretty good pick. Um, I'm gonna go with my eliminator. I'm gonna go with Ryan Newman. It just seems like he's been running really well this year, and he has been. and even though you know he he hasn't really shown too much strength recently at uh, Richmond, I'm gonna go out and say he gets a a good finish. He got a top five. Uh, uh, in the last four races, he finished third in one of them. So I, I think Newman's going to rebound and have another strong week because, I mean, he's been just quietly super consistent this year. So He absolutely has been. Ben, anything else, man? Uh, still ahead in the driver, uh, the eliminator. W- dropped my average finish down to 10.42. Uh, unfortunately, you got your average finish up last week, but uh, – Dude, yeah. one guy that's really, speaking of the Eliminator, one guy's really starting to impress me. I think he's gaining the confidence, Suarez, at Stuart Haas in the 41. He's figuring it out, I think. Oh, he really is. I mean, he's he's coming into his own, and I think uh, I think him and Byron are starting to get better. Byron obviously really kind of had a, a bad day from the get-go, but, yeah, Daniel Suarez is a guy who – after just getting rooted out for Martin Truex, who's another story, but um, yeah, that bizarre. Yeah, Truex has just been unheard of this year. Like it's, it's like he's not even in the field. And before I hit the panic button on Truex, I'm just I I think that Carl Edwards in that same car, you know, he he struggled most of 2015 until about the Southern 500, and then he started um, turning it on. But yeah, I. I have no idea what's going on with Truex at JGR. I thought that'd be just a seamless transition with Pern, and they were basically uh-huh. running GGR stuff last year. So he's uh exactly man. That Truex. was one of my favorite moves of the offseason. I love that addition for for Joe Gibbs. I thought he was going to hit the ground running there, be competing with uh you know Bush and Hamlin, and he's been good, but it just hasn't quite been the case. Nah, he hasn't been. He hasn't been the Martin Truex we've known in the past few years. So, um, pressure might be on him, uh, especially going forward when the debate of where Christopher Bell is going to end up. He's got probably got to start picking it up. Or I don't think this year they would root him out. But if this, if it doesn't work out, he might be the guy to get the boot for C uh, Bell over at JGR. Yeah, whether it's uh, you know whoever eric jones or potentially someone else these these next round of contract negotiations at joe gibbs i bet are uh gonna be mighty interesting with with chris bell waiting in the wings absolutely i appreciate y'all listening you can check us out on soundcloud or our twitter account drop the hammer podcast and i'm sure ben and i'll both retweet it on our twitter accounts as well talk to y'all next time